Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Glenn Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. been up here in a while. It's good to be up here. Um, I uh, Would you put uh, my, Pastor Mike Failauer's picture back up again, guys? Hard to throw you off there. I wanted to share something with you because he's, you know, he's been a hero to me during COVID, this pastor. And um, during the time when the church was shut down, Governor Abbott didn't know what, you know, how to, how to have churches reopen. And so he, the Lord put on his heart like a blueprint for churches reopening. And he happened to know someone knew him that was in Governor Abbott's uh, inner circle. And so uh, he came up with this, ran it by some of the main pastors in Corpus Christi, and they didn't really give a lot of feedback. But then, sure enough, it went to Governor Abbott, and then he has it, holds a press conference on how churches could reopen in Texas and actually not be flippant about it so that the, um, you know, so that the CDC and people weren't up in arms. Oh, the church doesn't care. But he came up with this kind of gradual reopening. And so a lot of what we've been blessed by from that was from God putting on his heart to come up with, with a plan. So Anyway, I just wanted to share that, that, you know, I have certain heroes, and he's one of my heroes, so he'll be here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for coming in your manifest presence. Thank you for this worship team that, Lord, this is a platform. It's not a place, a stage for performance, but this is a place for welcoming you, and I thank you for every member of this worship team that that truly has a heart and was worshiping and still is worshiping you. Thank you for them, for the way that your presence has is continuing to be here uh, in a manifested way. Would you touch us, strengthen us by your word? I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to be released in us that we could walk transformed for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, one of the big things on our heart as a church, as a church leadership, has been that we desire strongly that the power of God be restored to his church. What, what I mean by that, not just, not just river in the hills, but that the supernatural power of God be restored to the church in this region, the church in Austin, the church in Texas, the church throughout the United States and around the world, even to New Zealand. Our desire, when I say power restored, I'm talking about the supernatural power of God that would cause uh, an increase of people who are lost in their sins coming to Christ and becoming born again. A dramatic increase of people who are physically sick where in which the power of God comes and touches their bodies and they become healed physically by God's power, healed mentally, healed emotionally. We want to see and we're believing we're going to see God's power restored to deliver people from demonic oppression. How many of you know the enemy wants to try to harass people, 
like at a time I can't remember. The church needs the power restored. And so as a leadership, we are seeking to, we, we just don't believe it, it happens on the run. We believe we need to say, Lord, what, are, what can we do to facilitate your presence to where there's a greater release, where people receive more help from you? And so what we're doing, we're making a few tweaks. Maybe you've noticed them that uh, what we're going to do, what we've been doing is we're saving uh, prophetic ministry, words and knowledge, prophetic words to the end of the service till after the message and response time so that it'll give more time for our prayer teams to fully minister to people. Now, you're allowed, you know, we've always had this, you're free to linger as long as you like uh, after the message time, but we'll, we'll give, I think Kyle will be doing it today, sharing words of knowledge. I'll, I have a few already in my heart. And, uh, but we just ask that you stay as long as you like, just go, if you'll go bring your children back in at 12.15, then that way the, the people in the back don't come after me afterwards. So, um, so we're going to, we're, it's been working. I believe the Lord's been, been blessing that. Now, you know, we don't try to come up with prophetic words. You know, we're, we're, we're open if the Holy Spirit wants to bring them, but, but we're not trying. We, we can't make that happen. I mean, if you know that, it's the Holy Spirit that brings the gifts of the Spirit. And, uh, but, but we're open, and we can always call an audible and do something in the middle of the service. But, but that's kind of what we're, we're seeking, and we're believing God's going to increase uh, his manifest presence. So, um, with that in mind, I do. I do think. I'll just say this from my heart. I do think that people receive breakthrough. I've seen it over the years. They receive breakthrough in their life when they are not so clock-eyed, but they take time to linger in God's presence. Yes. That that I found this principle that when we make room for Him. He comes and fills that room. To the degree that we create a space, I'm talking about taking time to directly behold him, a space in our hearts to open us up, where we open up and we just say, come and touch me, Lord. That he comes and fills that space with his manifest presence of joy and peace or wisdom that we need and physical healing. And so that's what we're seeking to do. And so it's with this in mind that I want to look at six principles of faith that we see in this, that are evidenced in the life of blind Bartimaeus, who became seeing Bartimaeus out of Mark chapter 10. I was telling Kyle a few weeks ago, he said, Dad, what do you think you're going to share about? And I said, I think I'm going to talk about blind Bartimaeus. And he said, well, Dad, he became seeing Bartimaeus, didn't he? And I said, yeah. He said, well, don't call him by his old name, you know. And I received the correction. I mean, I don't want to be called by my former life, right, before the Lord touched me. So, but these are lie. this is uh, six principles of faith evidenced in the life of seeing Bartimaeus. Now, I only have time today for the first two 
because they're just so juicy. Uh, later on, we'll talk about the others. I've got all six of them in your notes, so, um, but I want to make a few. There goes the water, like clockwork. Uh, Roman numeral two, a few observations about this passage, Mark 10, 46 through 52. It'll be up on the screen most of the time. Um, the notes are online for those watching. You can follow along there. But um, these are six principles that will position us to receive more from God. And they're six principles of faith that will prepare us to pray for other people with more results. I want to see more results. So um, here's a man, Bartimaeus, being healed in the community of Jericho. And it is at the time in which Jesus is preparing the apostles for his soon coming arrest and death. And so here's Jesus with the apostles. It's like his entourage crosses the Jordan River. They're heading up to Jericho, which is about 25, 30 miles away from Jerusalem. And then verse 46 says, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, a lot of people conjecture that his name is listed in Scripture because there was a man named Bartimaeus, a church history records, who was very prominent in the New Testament church of Jerusalem. So they think, well, maybe that's why his name's in there. Um, but you also keep in mind that Bartimaeus was actually a very common name. Uh, whenever you see the first three letters of a name in the Bible, Bar, it means son of. So Bartimaeus was the son of a man named Timaeus, um, and there were lots of Timaeuses, okay? So Bartimaeus was a common name, just like Barsabbas, Barjona, Bartholomew. Anyway, whether it's the prominent one or just a common name, it says Bartimaeus was a blind man. Paragraph B, verse 46, also says he was a beggar. He sat by the road begging. Now, keep in mind, in the Old Testament uh, economy, they had a welfare program based on a person's ability to gather and collect food. So, if you, they also took a tax. They taxed all the wealth that came in to Jerusalem, 10% to give out to the poor. So it was like Bartimaeus would receive a welfare check from, the 10, from that 10%, but it wasn't enough to cover all his needs. So in that uh, welfare economy there, they also had a provision in which if you owned a vineyard or a wheat field, you were to, when it was harvest time, you were to not harvest 10% of the crops. And that was called the gleanings of the field. And so the poor who were able could go to the field and harvest that grain or those grapes. And so if it was, it was called the gleanings. So if it was corn, it was the scraggly ears of corn. If it was the wheat, it was the wheat that grew on the hillside or around the rocks. It was more difficult to get to, but it was free 
so it wasn't a bad deal. But Bartimaeus was blind, so he couldn't go do that. And then if you were elderly, they had another, another provision. If you were elderly, your adult children were to take care of you. And so that's why Jesus got so upset with the Pharisees in Mark 7, because they were trying to, to rig the system by not, and not take care of their parents. They would write out this elaborate list. They'd get in the public square, and they'd write out this list of everything they owned, and then they would hold it up to God as a pledge, and they'd sign it, and they'd say, all that I own belongs to God. Think knowing that that meant they didn't have to take care of their parents. And Jesus got real mad. He's like, that, y'all, that's a scam you're trying to run there. God, I see it. More importantly, God sees it. And so uh, he, it was called Corban in, the, in that um, Mark 7, 11 through 13. So besides the welfare check, though, the handicapped were pretty much left out. So they had to beg to, to have enough to live on because that 10% part for them wasn't very much. So I, I found a picture of modern-day beggars. There are still modern-day beggars in certain countries. That looks like India. But that's picture kind of, that's what it was like. They had mats in front of them, or Bartimaeus had a, had a mat or a cloak, it says, or a garment. And the, the rules were that as people walked by and they threw coins... Whatever landed on your mat was yours. But whatever didn't land on your mat, whatever was out in the roadside, that was up for grabs. Anyone could get it. So uh, that, that was what, the, what it was like to be a beggar. And so um, Matthew 10, 47, paragraph C. You can go back to the passage now. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 47. Now, when it says Jesus of Nazareth, I just want to kind of break it down a little more. When it says Jesus of Nazareth, there's no particular import in that name other than that it describes which Jesus it was. It was the Jesus from the region around the city of Nazareth. And so just kind of keep in mind that there were lots of people named Jesus at the time because that name was also found in the Old Testament. It's the name Joshua in the Old Testament, and it means God is salvation, okay? What distinguished Jesus Christ, by the way, Christ was not his last name. It described who he was. The Christ is Messiah, the one, or a Christos means anointing. So that Jesus Christ is the Jesus who was and is the only one anointed to bring salvation to the world. But there were lots of Jesuses. So this one, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he perked up. Because not only did it show that Bartimaeus knew who he was. It showed he knew what he could do. He'd heard about people being raised from the dead, deaf ears opening. He heard that this is the Jesus 
that brings miracles. So he knew who he was. He knew what he could do. Now, I want you to look at the basis for which he approaches Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls him by a title, son of David. It's underlined there. Jesus, son of David. Now, that was a rare title for Jesus because it it's only occurs five times in the New Testament, son of David. And it, it means the Jesus who is the Messiah. Son of David, when you hear, see son of David, that, that title refers to Jesus in his office as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. This is the second time it occurs in the New Testament. Keep in mind the next day when they came into Jerusalem that next afternoon, the crowd began to recognize this is the Messiah because what do they say as he comes in on the donkey? Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna, son of David. But here is a blind man able to see what all the people that were around him couldn't see. He was able to see who it was, that it was the Messiah that was passing by. Yeah. Sometimes people, we, we discount people in their revelation. And sure enough, he had this revelation. Um, now, notice his plea was, have mercy on me. This Basically, this showed that the revelation of God was working at the time. The revelation of God was working. People were being prepared. Because here's this blind beggar the day before Jesus enters Jerusalem saying, Son of David. So the revelation of God's working. People are being prepared. And then he makes the plea, Son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew 9 describes the same passage in which uh, it says Jesus was moved with compassion. So Bartimaeus is appealing to the mercy. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus responded with mercy. That kind of blows my mind that the God of the universe can be stirred to respond to us in mercy when we ask him for mercy. And this is what he was doing. He was calling out, saying, have mercy on me. And then Jesus responds with compassion. I love that about Jesus. So many times in my life, he's responded with compassion and mercy. And I just oh, love that. Paragraph D, noticed in verse 48 up there. Um, many rebuked him. He's yelling. He's yelling at the top of his lungs. He's yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They rebuked him and told him, be quiet. Shut up. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I like that about Bartimaeus. He didn't get quiet because the crowd told him to be quiet. He rose up and said, no way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my voice known. What's that? I'm going to shout it. I'm going to make this. Anyway. So here's the crowd. The apostles are telling him to keep it down. And, I mean, if, if you can imagine, I don't know if you've been to third world countries. Have you ever seen people begging by the road? 
It's like they're, it's like that's their job. They're, they become professionals and, you know, they, they're, they, they kind of, Bartimaeus probably developed a whine in his voice. He probably had to, you know, become a whole theatrical production because he's trying to get the attention of the people with the money. So he's probably waving his arms around, probably having to raise the volume of his voice. Because if you're walking by and you see these beggars, it's whoever looks the most pitiful, whoever makes the, gets your attention, that's who gets the money. So, I mean, he'd become a professional at this. And so, you know, no doubt when the apostles and the people around Jesus, his entourage is coming through and they're like, hey, keep it down. It wasn't going to do any good because he's like, uh-uh, this is... This is my chance. The Messiah is passing by. This is my chance. I'm going to get his attention. And, and I, just, I just love that about him. That provokes me to not give up. You know, I, I'll, I'll just say this, and I'm going to put me at the front of the line here. Sometimes, as Christians, we are too cool to get certain things from Jesus. Sometimes it's like I'll just vulnerability time, you know. I'll, I'll be in a meeting where I'm not preaching. I'll be at a, a meeting there or one of y'all are preaching. And, and the altar call is given and I'll be like, uh, I hesitate to raise my hand because I'm too self-conscious. I'm too cool for school, you know. It's like, hmm. Oh, and then I start to go through the rationalizations. Well, I'm a pastor. What will they think? And, and I miss out on certain things God has because I'm too cool. You know, I, I was a, there was a time <clears throat> when I was about 25 years old, and I had a real hard time breathing. I was a youth pastor in Waco, Texas, and um, I went to a specialist, did all the tests. The specialist said, you've got asthma. You will have it the rest of your life. Here's your bronchodilator, inhalator, and here's your pills. Take three times a day and take the inhalator. And I was thinking, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't do that to the specialist. <laughs> but I was thinking that. I don't receive it. I don't receive it. And I didn't receive it in my spirit. To, to say you're going to have asthma the rest of your life and... And I was having a hard time breathing. I wasn't married yet. Suzanne and I were dating, but, you know, she'd come over and bring me these holds, hold cough things to help me breathe, you know, the, the really strong, horrible tasting. But I heard, I was in Waco, Texas. I heard that in Fort Worth, Gloria Copeland was having a healing school as a part of the Believers Convention in Texas. And so on a Saturday morning, she's going to teach from nine until noon and and she would, I'd heard she would pray for people to be, to be healed. She'd lay hands on people. And it's like, well, I'm going. I'm going. I was desperate. I was like, I, I drove from Waco to Fort Worth, coughing all the way. And, you know, thankfully it wasn't COVID times. Or that, ah, you know. But I'm caught, you know, I get up there. She teaches for a couple hours. And then it, this was at the Tarrant County Convention Center. So there were thousands of people there. There were at least 300 people at the altar for her to pray for. They had like tape and you got in lines. So I'm on like the second line 
So there's a line in front of me of like maybe 75 people, 75 people. And she starts going down the line, laying hands on them after she teaches. And every one of them, like dominoes, they fall, like dominoes, they all fall over. It's like boom, 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 boom. And I'm sitting there going, oh, Lord. What if I don't fall over? Anybody been there? Oh, Lord, what if I don't fall over? What will they think? I mean, it was every single one. I was like, then I started making the mental calculus. You created the heavens and the earth. You're able to knock me over if you want to knock me over. But I didn't drive to Fort Worth, Texas to be cool. I drive to Fort Worth, I drived, I drove to Fort Worth, Texas to be healed. All right? I don't care if I fall over, bark, I don't know, whatever. That doesn't matter if that's what you do, but I came here to get my healing. So they all fall over, and then I'm here, like kind of in the middle of the thing, going, oh, Lord, here we go. Fall, 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 fall. Don't fall. Fall, 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 fall. I'm the only dork standing in the whole group, but I got healed. I got healed. I didn't, I mean, it was like, uh uh-uh. And and I I felt subconscious, I felt self-conscious. I felt, I felt bad, you know, like, oh, no, because I thought all people are going, oh, he's not very spiritual. But I know, I'll just say this, you don't have to fall to help God out, okay? Let him fall on you with healing power. You don't have to fall to help him out. The God of the universe, he's holding it all together. He can, he's very capable of doing what he's doing. So a couple of weeks later, the pills, just for those who kind of know, how did you stop with the asthma thing? The pills that I was supposed to take that cleared up my lungs clogged up my lungs. So guess what I did with the pills? Threw them away. And that was when I was 25, and I'm significantly older than 25. So (laughs) praise God. Um, Anyway, uh, paragraph E, Jesus stopped and said, so he's calling out, uh, there, son of David, have mercy on me. He called, then Jesus moved with compassion. Remember I said, he, they called, they, the, the apostles called the blind man and they said, be of good cheer, Bartimaeus, rise, he's calling you. Now it says be of good cheer. It also, the Greek there would be take courage. Yeah. He's calling you. Now, the apostles had probably picked up this phrase, take courage, because they'd watched Jesus say that over and over. So they're like, hey, Jesus said it. I'll say it. Take courage. Remember when uh, Jesus was in front of Lazarus' tomb, and he sees uh, Mary and Martha? He says, take courage. The resurrected Jesus, when when he encounters Mary Magdalene, after he's out of his tomb, the tomb, he tells her, take courage. So they're telling Bartimaeus, take courage. What that means is take courage. The answer to your request is on the way. Take courage. The answer is on the way. And you know what? Sometimes I lose courage 
waiting for God to do what I've asked him to do. In fact, I just feel like there may be some here. You've lost courage waiting for God to do what you've asked him to do. And I believe the Lord wants to encourage you today. Don't give up. Take courage. Just like Bartimaeus, he's calling for you. Verse 49, it says that he's calling you. Can you imagine you're in this crowd, you've been blind, and he's calling you? I would imagine his heart just got beat really fast. He's blind. Then I love this, paragraph F, verse 41. He's blind, he hears, he he immediately gets up. He probably had to have help finding, getting his way to Jesus, but he jumps up, he gets there to Jesus, he's blind. And I love verse 51. He says, Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? Here's this blind guy running up to Jesus blind, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, can you imagine Bartimaeus just went, oh, well, I got this bunion on my foot. Could you? Y'all aren't as weird as me, right? I'm thinking, I think that's hilarious. He asked him what he wanted him to do, for, what he wanted to do for him, and, you know, it would be, oh, anyway, I'll just, I just play that. I just play that comedy routine in my head. Um, So he says, Rabboni, verse 51, um, he says, I want to receive my sight. There are three words for rabbi or teacher in Scripture, rab, rabbi, and rabboni. And so he says, he addresses Jesus. Again, this shows that Bartimaeus knew he was the Messiah. Because Rabboni means master or uh, Lord. So he was saying, I know who you are. You're the Lord that teaches. You're the master teacher. I want to receive my sight. And so then Bartimaeus, just a couple more thoughts here before I get into these two principles. I've, I've dwelt on this, meditated on it. Bartimaeus said, in one version, he said, I want to regain my sight, which means he probably lost his sight as a child. Can you imagine, if anybody here, if if you would do, picture putting something over your eyes and not being able to see for the next 24 hours. You know what you're missing because you've seen. He wasn't born blind. He said, I want to regain my sight. So can you imagine every day going, I used to be able to see. So then verse 51 <clears throat> says, I want to see. Verse 52, Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now that's what I call a good day. Having your sight restored. So we Roman numeral three, as I said, I've got six principles of faith because he said your faith has healed you. Six principles of faith here, and I want to look at the first two, especially if you're seeking healing for your life or if you're praying for someone to receive healing. I think these will help us. The first one, verse 46, 47, Bartimaeus took advantage of the opportunity 
afforded to him by Jesus' presence. He took advantage of the opportunity. He made the, that is to say, when Jesus was coming through the community with his entourage, Bartimaeus was made aware, at that time he was made aware that Jesus was coming. And it was at that point that Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He, he knew Jesus was passing by. Now we know that, that as Christians, Jesus is always with us, right? You know, as a Christian, he, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said, um, and then we know Scripture says, well, if, if you're a Christian, Jesus dwells within you. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. But I want you to know that there are moments and times, please hear this right now, there are moments and times when the presence of Jesus is more manifest than at other times. Like today, I was standing over here during worship, and I felt a real strong sense of the present, the manifest presence move in. Okay? Not so much that his presence has abated, but it's in those times when, his, when the presence is there, and you can sense it's there, you then, at that time, speak out. Take advantage of that when that happens. Take opportunity. Ask him then that he, when, his present, when you sense his presence in a place, like Bartimaeus. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, Larry Carlton. Larry, can you stand up? Look at everybody. Look, can we all just clap for Larry for a minute? You don't know why, but <laughs> Woo! thank you. He, he had a horrible accident. They weren't sure if he could ever like, move his back again because they didn't know how bad the, the spinal damage was. <clears throat> but I didn't think I'd see Larry for, for weeks and weeks. He was supposed to be on his back flat for 90 days without moving. All right. Now, if he, unless he put on this brace. So here he is like a week, couple of weeks later. He's in the service. I see him. I said, Larry, come on up. He starts giving testimony of how the Lord's been doing a quick healing in his back. And here he is again today. I didn't say, can you come and help my illustration? But, but as soon as, I mean, everybody's clapping, hallelujah. Then, then as I'm walking up here, I felt the Holy Spirit say, now. And I said to the congregation, I said, anyone with back problems right now, reach out and receive your healing for your back. Does anybody remember that? Okay, that was, what, that was like the Bartimaeus principle. He had walked in. There was faith being stirred for people to receive right then healing for their back. See, he took advantage of the opportunity about uh, Bartimaeus didn't. So I want us to be sensitive to that in the future. That's what Bartimaeus was doing. He was saying, oh, Jesus is here. I want to get mine. This is my opportunity. Second, I'm almost through. Bartimaeus, <clears throat> verse 47, he made the right appeal. First, he took the opportunity afforded to him by Jesus' presence. He called out. But then he made the right appeal. Notice he says, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. He approached God, please hear me. He approached God on the basis of his mercy, not on the basis of his rights. He approached God on the basis of his mercy, not on the basis of his rights. You know, I've noticed over the years, some Christians are very sincere, they love God, but it's like they approach God with an attitude of demanding that God do things for them, with an attitude that in effect says, God, you come be my servant. I say this in love. Please hear my heart. I, over the years, I never approached God demanding that he serve me. When I have a need and I come to God in prayer, I'm vocal, I'm passionate, I'm bold, I'm persistent. I call out and I say, it is written. I cry out, but I don't cry out to God. I cry out, but I cry out to God for mercy. I don't cry out for his justice. I cry out for his mercy. Believe me. I'm just going to sit because I just want to do this. I just saw it. Believe me. You don't want justice from God. You want his mercy. You want his mercy. Cameron, worship team, can you all come up? I'm, I'm so passionate about this point that while I was writing this in my notes, you want, you want mercy from God, not justice. I'm in this prayer room, the, the, the International House of Prayer web stream's going on live. While I'm typing out, come to God on the basis of his mercy, they start singing, um, um, now, I'm, now I'm spaced out on what it was. Um, they sing, yeah, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I've had so many times when I have been desperate. I've needed God to come and rescue me. And he's been so merciful. About eight years ago, I was in a hospital and the surgeon, he came up the night before the surgery, I had my, my liver ducts were blocked. I was turning yellow, and they couldn't find them. They couldn't get them out, you know, whatever. He comes into the, my hospital room the night before the surgery, and he puts his head in his hands, and he says, I don't know how I'm going to do this. That's the last thing you want a surgeon to tell you before you go into surgery. Because I had so much scar tissue, I have, I've had a, couple, a number of things happen in my stomach area, including a ruptured appendix when I was eight. But he said, there, the x-rays show there's so much scar tissue, I don't know how I'm going to do this. 
and I had been through so many things physically at the time. He said, if I can't do this, he said, I'm going to have to cut you from here all the way. I don't want to get gross. I'm going to have to go in with my own hands and try to feel out and find them. And I was like, whoa. It was so serious. When, he, when a surgeon says, I don't know what I, how I'm going to do this. Back then, I had a Blackberry. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but I made a goodbye note message to Suzanne, to my children, to the church. The next day, I come out of surgery feeling great. I left the hospital that next day. I had called out to God for mercy, and, uh, and the surgeon came in. Honest guys, he looks at me and he said, I don't know what happened. When I went, when we did started the surgery, it's like all the scar tissue moved out of the way. And I left that afternoon, and I went and got a big dinner. And Suzanne took me. You see, why do I ask for mercy? You know why we ask for mercy, not for His justice? Because I'm not that good. Because I know I have flaws and sins, and uh, you know, past sin. I have weaknesses. I have frailties. I have layers of unbelief. I have layers of, uh, of unperceived ambition. And so I don't come to him saying, I demand. I'm like Bartimaeus. I ask for mercy. Would you stand to your feet? I want to 